0: looking at the book. We're wrapping it up. Uh, I gave you this chart. We've looked through everything that we have taught is on this chart. Give you an overview of the book as we dive in. But last week, we talked about reconciliation is risky business. And the reason it's risky business is no matter how much you may want it, There's another person involved or other people. It always takes two to reconcile. And while you cannot remove or cause others to reconcile, you can remove the roadblocks in your own heart. But in this last lesson, I want to bring to you a question. And the question is this. Is there any hope for unreconciled relationships? Uh, I have been very sensitive Going through this, I realize uh, not knowing where everybody's at, but just knowing relationships are messy. Can I get an amen on that? And reconciliation is even more messy. And some of you, I know your story. Some of you, I don't. I don't know all that. That's not. I'm not pinpointing anybody. Just in my own life, going through it, it's always refreshing to go through the Book of Philemon, but it can also be painful because sometimes you you are reminded. Of broken relationships. I mean, I hope you were through this series. Otherwise, you weren't getting the message. There are some relationships that maybe this series has burdened your heart. It's brought up pain that you're trying to push down. Or it's reminded you of an unreconciled relationship. And so I want to end with this question. Is there any hope for unreconciled relationships? And in Christ, there's always hope. And the hope we have is resurrection hope. We just celebrated we just celebrated Easter. And uh, Christ is still risen. Christ is still risen. He's, risen. He's risen indeed. And as long as he is risen and reigning And we're going to start a series next week about the ascension. And we're going to see that he not only resurrected, but he ascended. And what that has to do with our lives. And I think you're going to enjoy that. But there's always hope. There's resurrection hope. And I find it amazing that in this little letter, Paul ends on such a note of hope. And so let's look at verses 21 through 25. Verse 21. Verse 21, Philemon, here it is. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, I also prepare me lodging for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What an ending. To this book. I want you to see that the main idea of this lesson, the main idea of of Paul's ending is in verse 21. Look at that again in your Bibles. Having confidence in your obedience. There's hope. I write to you since I know that you will do even more, even more. There's hope for breakthroughs and then some. That's what I want to see. That's what I want you to see. So let's look at four ways that we can hope for future breakthroughs, even when all the roadblocks have not yet been removed. And even though reconciliation has not yet taken place, there's still hope. And here's the first point I want you to see and It's from the first verse. Hope for future obedience and then some. And what's the then some? It's an open heart. An open heart. There's hope for an open heart of obedience. Look again at verse 21. There's a confident expectation of Paul. Having confidence in your obedience. He expresses that. We don't know how Philemon responded. Paul doesn't know, but he has a confident expectation. Then he has even greater positive motivation when he says... I not only believe that you'll obey, but you will do even more, even more, and then some. So let's look at two principles, and it's really quite just to the point, because Paul's to the point. Paul has confidence in Christ-centered choices. That's what reconciliation requires, Christ-centered choices. So here it is, be obedient to the lordship of Christ by loving one another. Be obedient to the Lordship of Christ by loving one another. You say, I don't see love in this passage. I don't even see the Lord mentioned in verse 21. But we have seen him throughout this letter. So let's take a look at how this is developed. Paul's saying this. Philemon, show your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by obeying what I've asked you to do, which is nothing less than loving God. Anesimus as your brother in Christ remember that this letter began, look back at verses 4 through 6, there's, there's a book in here between these verses. It's bracketed by this idea. Look at verse 4. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. Why? Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward the saints. And we said that was like a sandwich, that the meat of the sandwich was his faith in Christ and the bread that held it together was that faith being shown in love for the saints and he's saying and he goes on and he says in verse six and i pray that the fellowship the partnership of your faith the participation of your faith may become effective why or how through the knowledge of every good thing which is, which is in you for christ's sake so here in verse 21, he's drawing on that, and he's saying, hey, I want you to be obedient to your Lord and Master. You're the Master of, Phile- uh, of Onesimus, but I want you to be obedient to your ultimate Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith in Him needs to manifest itself in obedient love. It really comes down to that. Listen, if we're going to break through to the other side of reconciliation, there's one way it's going to happen, and that's obedience. Obedience to the Lordship. Not because I feel like it. Not because I particularly like this person. Not because I am thrilled about what they have done to me. It has hurt me deeply. Uh, Maybe I'm not thrilled about what I did to them. I hurt them deeply. None of that in the end, matters because it's obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we refuse to forgive and reconcile, then we are guilty before the Lord, and we stand before Him accused. We have no excuse. There He stands with His nail-pierced hands, His pierced feet, His pierced side, as He reigns in heaven... And we say to someone like that and say, no, not interested in forgiving. No, not interested in reconciling. Listen, when we refuse, we're guilty before the Lord. And if we refuse to repent of that refusal to reconcile, then we will enter into a mode of living where we make excuses, we shift blame to other people in order to deal with our guilt. And that's how you become a root of bitterness in your family, in the church, in the workplace. Because what happens is when we refuse and rebel to obey the lordship of Christ and to manifest love to one another, and that love is expressed in forgiving and asking forgiveness. Well, when we do that, we begin to excuse, it's not my fault. You don't know what they did to me. Okay, tell me what they did. Okay, now that that's, that's... Let's bring it to the Lord. Let's look to the Lord. Is it greater than what we have done to Him? And yet He's willing to reconcile. When we do that, we make excuses. We shift blame to other people. I, I, I would, but they won't. Yeah, okay, that's reality. It takes two to reconcile. But what about your heart? What about my heart? A refusal to be forgiving... And releasing those who have wronged us says more about us than it does the people you refuse to release. So at the end of the day, no matter how much you say about the other people, it's your heart that says the most about you. So what do we do as we hope? What should we do as we hope? Okay, they they haven't repented. They haven't asked forgiveness. The problem is there. So what should we do? We should do the one thing Jesus always expects us to do. Be quick to hear, quick to obey from the heart. Just keep obeying the Lord. Keep obeying. Because here's what happens. Is when, when relationships go sideways and when there is a lack of reconciliation and when there's deep hurt, if you're not careful, you're the one that gets sidetracked into bitterness. You're the one that gets begins to compromise on your own faithfulness and you begin to compromise in a way or you're tempted. Sometimes we're tempted to affirm the other people if we love them, if they're close to us. We affirm them in their sin in order to bring false reconciliation. In other words, there's a tension here. Okay, I'm following the Lord, a loved one's not following the Lord in sin. How am I going to reconcile that? They won't repent, uh, you know, but we have to do life together. Plus, I love them, I'm committed to them. What am I going to do? Well, the answer is, you keep doing what the Lord wants you to do. The father of the prodigal son did not leave the home and chase after his prodigal he kept doing what he was to do and kept one eye on the horizon with a heart of hope are you with me at the same time he didn't affirm the sin of his prodigal son or daughter so these are the ideas. these are just some of the ideas the only thing you can control when others won't reconcile is your own heart And the best way to demonstrate trust in the Lord and hope for a future reconciliation is to keep doing what the Lord wants you to do. Because here's the thing. When a prodigal leaves home, or, you know, I'm I'm using that. It could be an unreconciled relationship. If you leave home too, they have no place to come back. See, if 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 you go chasing after them and then they decide to come back and they go back and you're not there. You say, yeah, but I don't think they'll ever recognize my faithfulness. Oh, they are very aware of it. Just as they, if they've been raised in a Christian home, just as they are very aware of the Lord's faithfulness, they're just resisting. And it may be after you die. It may be decades. I I don't know. But there's hope for breakthrough. But what you and I need to be doing while we wait is obedient to the Lord with a heart of hope. Secondly, be open to going beyond the letter of the law and doing whatever Christ asks you. That's the, the and more, even more. I hope you will do even more. Be open to going beyond the letter of the law. So what's the even more that Paul's confidently expecting? So when he says to uh, uh, Philemon, I write to you since I know that you will do even more. Then what I say, what's he talking about? I think there's three options. So let me lay them out for you. One, was it that Philemon was not just to forgive, you know, like, okay, I forgive you, but also receive Philemon? Well, no, because that's basically what Paul asked. That's the obedience. The obedience is forgive him and receive him. That's in verse 16. He's already asked that. So that's not the even more. Well, is it that Philemon would not just receive Onesimus as a beloved brother, but would also release him from being a slave? That's a possibility. Okay, so I not only receive you back in my home, and I not only receive you as a brother, but I'm actually going to release you from being my slave. I think that's a high probability, very likely. But I think there's a third aspect that Paul has been hinting at all along. And it's this, not just release Onesimus from being a slave, but return him back to me, send him back to me, so he can continue to minister to me in my imprisonment. I think that's what he really wants. The even more is don't just forgive him, don't just receive him as a brother but also release him to be a fellow partner in the work of the ministry. And so I think that's the the even more. You say, "Well, how's that? You know, I don't I don't have any slaves to release. What you know, what does this mean for me?" Well, here you go. Here's the application. Number 1. Breakthroughs are possible wherever God's people are willing to go beyond just being obedient to actually loving one another as God in Christ has loved us. I know that's a mouthful. I try to get that a little bit more summarized, but it's really, that's it. Listen, there's always hope for a breakthrough wherever God's people go beyond just the letter of the law. You did this, you owe me you know, I did this, I, I, I went through the, the words, I said the words, I was wrong, will you forgive me? I said the words, I forgive you. But do you really love one another? That's the more so. Are, are you with me? That's hard stuff. Because these are people that you've been crossways with, right? So that's the that's the idea. Let me give you an illustration from Scripture. On the night before Christ went to the cross, in John 13, the Bible tells us that he enters the upper room in John 13 with one intent. This is the night before he's going to go to the cross for these rascals, right? And he walks into the room. This is the night where they're not going to wash his feet. And they're all going to sit down, and no one will wash anyone else's feet. And they're all going to sit down with dirty feet in each other's faces because they reclined at a table. This is that night, and it says in John 13 that Jesus entered that upper room with this intent. I am going to love them to the limit. I'm going to love them to the limit. And when you read John 13, what did that mean? It meant, first of all, serving them because he washed their feet. When he deserved them to wash his feet. Who should have been washing feet that night? The disciples should have been fighting over, hey, no, I should be washing Jesus' feet. Jesus served them. He washed their feet. Second of all, that night, he tells us that in washing their feet, it was a word picture of forgiving them. Because remember, he said, I'm forgiving you. And, and Peter being Peter said, well, if this is about forgiveness, don't just wash my feet. Give me a bath. And Jesus says, no, you knucklehead. You don't need a bath. You've already had a bath. All you need is feet from daily. And, and, and that's the idea. When Jesus is your Lord, your sins are forgiven. And people want to say, well, if my sins are forgiven, why do I need to confess sin? Because you keep sinning even though you are forgiven. And it breaks fellowship not your relationship. And so Jesus was picturing for us that real love gives daily, and not only daily, but repeated forgiveness as often as it's needed. And then the third thing that he tells us in John 13, go and do likewise. So my whole point for this is just to point you out that love is the motivation of this. And if you just go by the letter of the law, You're never going to get to the point of being like Christ. And you know what's amazing about that night? Jesus did that for even Judas. Who he knew would never repent. Who he knew was about to betray him. Whom he knew would never place his faith in him. Now here's where conditional and unconditional forgiveness is so important this is why people think there's uh, some believers and they're good believers and, and there's they would vehemently disagree with me that it's unconditional forgiveness we're to offer well listen jesus offered forgiveness that night he washed jesus, judas's feet but did he forgive him no he was willing He was willing. He offered it. And because Judas rejected it, he was not forgiven. Because here's the idea. If Jesus had already forgiven Judas and Judas rejects us, now Jesus has to take back his forgiveness. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. No, he's willing. The willingness was there. And that's what we do when the barriers are there. We need to be willing, but we can't forgive when there's not a repentance and a reconciliation. We can't actually close the deal. So here's the idea. The idea is make sure you always have an open heart. Is your heart open to recon- uh, a breakthrough reconciliation? You say, how do I do that? Be obedient to the Lord. Just keep doing what you ought to be doing and doing it with love. And then breakthroughs are possible when our faith grows beyond just doing what is asked to doing more than is required. It takes a growth of faith to get to this. So here's the question, here's the challenge. Have an open heart to doing more than what is required. Have an open heart to doing more. That's the first measure of hope. Number two, second is this, hope for future deliverance and then some. And what's the then some? An open home. Go from an open heart to an open home. Not just obedience, but deliverance. Look at verse 22. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, and I hope that through your prayers, I will be given to you. I will be released but I'm not just looking for release. I'm looking for fellowship with you. I want to be where you are. Paul continues to apply wise and compassionate pressure to do the right thing. I like what uh, J.B. Lightfoot's an old commentator. He, he Great insight. Here's what he says. There is a gentle compulsion in this mention of a personal visit to Colossae. The apostle would thus be able to see for himself that Philemon had not disappointed his expectations. So here he is. I hope you'll you'll reconcile. And by the way, I hope to visit you soon. And don't forget, where was the church? It was in Philemon's house. Where does a master and slave interact? In their house. You know, Paul is gently hinting, I'm going to come. And I want to see that your open heart has led to an open home and deeper relationships. Literally, he says this, prepare me a lodging, prepare a place of hospitality for me. This is the essence of fellowship. This is the essence of Philemon, that we as the family of God aren't just rigid church members, but we're the household of faith and we have fellowship with one another. So why does Paul make this request? It it almost seems out of play. Oh, by the way, uh, you know, can you get a room for me? I'm coming over. I mean, Philemon, the Airbnb, right, of the New Testament. So here's the reason. The reason is hospitality and accountability are marks of real fellowship. And we forget this. It's not just eating You know, uh, it's just not eating food together. It's just not being in the same room with other Christians. The reason, listen, the reason so many professing Christians avoid real fellowship is for this reason. Because it means getting personal and opening your home. It means not keeping people at a distance. And that then involves what else? Accountability. Because you know one another. This is Okay, right there is what our grow groups are all about. Okay, this is why we have grow groups. It requires hospitality. Someone has to open their home or have a place of hospitality. You know, if worse comes to worse, we're going to be like our our, our brothers and sisters in Africa. Okay, we're going to meet under that tree. So it can be a place, but it's a place of hospitality where food and fellowship or food takes place. And then accountability accountability so you know every every grow group is not a you know did you read your bible today it's not like that but let me tell you if those questions aren't being asked then it's not a real it's not a real fellowship the question is not did you read your bible say hey how did the lord speak to you today what did he show you of himself in his word or in your in the workplace or the trials and and what what is God teaching you? Here's what he's teaching me, or maybe I don't know what He's teaching me right now. life is so messed up. you know someone told me they had a constipated cat this week. I don't know what God wants to teach you through that, but you know just get that picture out of your mind i I have it in my mind, okay, I can't get rid of that, so whatever that is. What is God teaching you through that? Because that, hey, that's a, those things are, you know, life is full of that, right? You got some furniture, new furniture delivered that's damaged. What is God teaching me? My cable's out right now and Spectrum says, oh, it's great. Don't worry about it. Well, no, it's it's a mess. What is the Lord trying to teach us through all these things? These are the things we talk about, okay? These are the things we talk about. Now, let me give you two principles out of that. Uh, One is, pray for the release of those in bondage. Paul says, pray for me. I want to take that idea. I think it's ironic. He's asking Philemon and the church to pray for Paul's release from bondage, and yet Philemon's left with a choice of whether keeping Onesimus in bondage. Are Are you with me? Pray for my release from bondage. Yeah, bondage bad. We don't want people in bondage. We'll pray for you. Oh, and by the way, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. Would you please release him by forgiving him? Would you release him from the debt that he owes you? It's kind of hard for the church to pray for Paul to be set free while at the same time keep Onesimus in bondage. But you know what? We do the same thing. We will praise God for forgiving our sin and resist forgiving others. Happens all the time among professing Christians. We're often, we will beg God for the prayer of salvation of a loved one while refusing to forgive or seek to be reconciled with a brother or sister in Christ. We can't make someone repent of their sins, we can't make them reconcile. But we can have a heart that's willing to pray for their deliverance. Lord, pray that they will be delivered from their sin. And this is exactly what Jesus did on the cross and what Stephen did when they were when Stephen was being sown. So let me go back to this idea of conditional forgiveness. He didn't, Jesus didn't say, You're forgiven, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Instead, he prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I have a heart of forgiveness for these who are rebelling and crucifying me. Stephen, the rocks are coming down on him. He doesn't shout to him, you're forgiven. Boom, you're forgiven. Boom, you're forgiven. No, he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Because he didn't have the power to forgive them. But the Lord could change their hearts. And he was willing to forgive them. And so he prays and Jesus prays. Isn't that a beautiful thought that before you even knew the Lord, he prayed that you would be forgiven? And that's what we ought to be doing. Third, or second, prepare for the reception of a brother or sister. I think this is wonderful. Pray for me that I be released. And oh, by the way, prepare... For my arrival. Two beautiful principles. So you got a wall, a wall, a barrier to reconciliation. What should I do? I can't control them. You can do two things. Pray for them and prepare for their reception. All right. Prepare for their reception. Make the necessary reception because open hearts Lead to open homes. So here's what I want to give you a little principle. You know, you may not buy into this. That's okay. This is how I view it. When I see these endings in Paul's letters, and it could be Peter too, but we have more letters from Paul. When I see these in, I always remember Paul is an apostle. So when Paul speaks, who is he representing? The risen Lord. So I always plug in the Lord into whatever Paul is saying and doing. And we've seen this throughout this letter that Paul is a mediator just like Christ. So take this thing, take this idea of prepare for my arrival and and transfer that to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be preparing for the arrival of Christ. And you know the best way to prepare? Make sure you're reconciled. Make sure you don't have a heart of bitterness. Make sure... That you're living in fellowship. So I I just thought about this. I'm not going to teach through this. I I put it in your notes. Preparing for the arrival of Christ. Answer the door when he knocks. We have Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and what? Dine with him and he with me. That's not a salvation verse. You know what that is? That's a fellowship verse for a repentance for a church in sin. So maybe to, this morning what you need to do is just answer the door because Christ is knocking. Come back to me. Secondly, abide with him. In Luke 24, you have this beautiful picture of the risen Lord walking with the Emmaus disciples. And they're walking along and it comes to night and they're arriving at an inn and Jesus is acting like he's going to keep walking. And they say, no, wait, come. Come. Stay. Abide with us. Now, that's a powerful image. You have as much fellowship with the Lord as you want. But he doesn't force. He kept walking. Hey, wait, where are you going? We like spending time with you. Abide with him. Beautiful. And then finally, anticipate his arrival at any moment. Revelation 22, 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, Come and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take freely of the water of life. Beautiful, just a beautiful picture. So it's not only answering the door, it's not only abiding with him, but it's anticipating his arrival. Come, come, Lord Jesus. I just, that's extra. You don't have to pay for that one. Number three, third one, third one. Hope for future fellowship and then some, an open hand. So we've gone from an open heart, which goes to an open home. I I should have shared with you. Remember Lydia, when she gets saved in Acts 16, it says the Lord opened her heart, and no sooner was her, her heart open, she said, oh, if you have counted me faithful, come and stay at my house. Open heart, open home. But that leads to an open hand. And this is where real fellowship takes place. It's not in a grow group. It's in ministry together. And it's when we suffer together. And that's what we're going to see. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he greets you, as do Mark, and that's John Mark, that's Mark who went with him on the missionary journey, failed. Paul said, I'm never taking him again. Barnabas says, I'll take him. Well, apparently John Mark, got better or improved in ministry. And Paul and and Mark and even Barnabas, they've reconciled. So even these guys have to go through this process. John Mark, Aristarchus, Demas. Demas is the guy that eventually left Paul for the world. So this is messy business. So don't think Paul just had, you know, I wish I could hang out with Paul because everything went well. Well, first of all, you'd be in prison with him. You know, second of all, you'd have people betraying you like Demas. You'd have a uh, relational conflict like you did with Barnabas and with John Mark. You'd have John Mark, a young potential guy that quit on you. It's all there. Your life is right there in the Bible. If you're involved in ministry, that is. So there it is. So here's how. And then what's he say? in Luke, my fellow workers. So he closes this letter like he does all his letters. But this is in the context of Philemon. So I want you to see two descriptors in those two sentences. Two descriptors stand out. And what are they? Two descriptions. What are the phrases in your Bible that are similar and yet different? Prisoners and workers. Yeah, and what's before prisoners and workers? Fellow, fellow, fellow. fellowship. This is a whole book about fellowship. Well, you know, Grow Group, you know, you know, we struggle just to do something like that. Oh, what a sacrifice. I don't know if I can go. Well, here's where these guys are fellowshipping. In prison. And they're not only in prison, but they're fellowshipping in the work of the ministry, the exhausting, hard work of serving. I, I just find that amazing, don't you? Can you be called a fellow sufferer with other Christians? Do you join in the pain of others? Do you share your pain with others? Can you be called a fellow worker because you're actually serving in ministry in our church and you're ministering with others, a fellow worker? That's the idea. So here's the idea. Fellowship is sweetest when you're suffering and serving together. The deepest fellowship comes in sharing your suffering and sharing your service together. So here's a couple principles. First, we partner together to serve Christ and others. Real fellowship is for fruitful partnership. So we partner together to serve. Now, if if we had the time... I, I, I'm not going to take the time to read these. I, 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 I've given you a chart of the ending of both Colossians and Philemon. I'm telling you, it is so rich. In fact, we did... I did a whole series... On the ending of Colossians, and we went and you go on our website and download it on every one of these men that is named here. It is so rich, it is so fascinating. But Paul just he he ends Colossians, he ends Philemon, and he just says these powerful, powerful things about him. He says in Colossians, Tycheus, beloved brother, faithful minister. And fellow servant. Onesimus, faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, a member, an outstanding member. Aristarchus, fellow prisoner. Mark, cousin of Barnabas. And he puts it in parentheses. About whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Have fellowship with him because he and I have resolved our differences. He is useful to me, just like Onesimus is useful. It's beautiful. These are my fellow workers in the kingdom of God. Epaphras, one of you, a bondservant, always laboring fervently. He's got great zeal, And when he's not with you in person, he's praying for you. Is that us? Is that me? Hey, that's convicting for me, and I'm a pastor. These are the descriptors of men and women who are in fellowship with one another and with the Lord. So, here's the second principle. We not only partner together to serve, we partner together to sacrifice for the glory of Christ and the good of others. So, serving fellow workers... Fellow workers. Fellowship is sweetest when we serve together. Sacrifice. Fellow prisoner. Suffering. Willing to sacrifice. See, here's the thing. If you're going to do this, you got to be ready to do this. There's none of this without this. No serving without sacrifice. And no faithful service without suffering. Because not everybody's going to respond. Not everybody's going to follow through. Not everybody's going to do what they said they would do. But you find fellowship. Man, I'm telling you. It's just powerful stuff. And you know what's hard about teaching this? is because you can't teach it. You have to experience it. When you serve, there's a bond of fellowship that is just deep and when you suffer together and yes a lot of that flows through our grow groups I mean I'm telling you our group we've been through some crazy wild times we have prayed for jobs for healing for salvation we've had we've had several people get saved at least through our group with the encouragement of our group if not actually in our group these things happen and We want them to happen more. So he says, fellow prisoner. So here's the question. Some of us may feel this morning that our fellowship is shallow or even stagnant. Okay? We may feel that way. You may feel that way. So I want to ask you two things, though. It may be. There could be many reasons for that. So I don't pretend to know. But I'm throwing out two based on Philemon. It may be because our fellowship is only about getting my needs met and not serving others. The stagnancy of your fellowship may be because you've become me-centered instead of other-centered. Secondly, it may be because we've refused to sacrifice in order to serve others. We're serving out of duty rather than out of a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. So these affect your fellowship. I don't know how else to to say that. So here's the question. Is your hand closed or open to serving? Is your hand closed or open? Are you have a tight fist saying, my needs need to be met, meet my needs. Or is your hand reaching out to serve other people? There's always bigger issues at stake. There's always bigger issues. So think about these. Let me just give you this. Some will experience breakthroughs. John Mark is evidence of that. John Mark. He's in this book because there was a breakthrough in reconciliation between him and Paul. Some will experience breakdowns. Demas will not be in this list much longer. The next time you find Demas is in the pastoral epistles and Demas has forsaken me for the world. There will be breakthroughs, there will be breakdowns, but there will always be some that will build up. Amen? Epaphras. Mark. Writer of the third gospel. Aristarchus. You know Aristarchus? He remained faithful to Paul through a riot in Ephesus, a shipwreck at sea, the imprisonment at Rome. He was no fair-weather friend. Will you go th- what will you go through to remain faithful to Christ? What will you go through to remain in fellowship with others? And a tradition says he was martyred at Rome during the persecution of Nero. He followed Paul even into martyrdom under Nero. And then you got got somebody like Luke, the beloved physician who used his talents as a layman to write more of the New Testament than anyone except one person, Paul. And he was a doctor. This isn't about having to be a pastor. This isn't about having to be a missionary. It's just about having fellowship and leveraging who you are for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's exciting stuff. I think so. So what about you and me? What are they writing about us in heaven? So here's here's a little exercise for you to think about. Go home this afternoon and before or after your nap. Write out, how would Paul greet you? What would he write? What descriptions would he give? Kind of an interesting exercise. Well, let's end with this last verse. Hope. For future breakthrough and then some. An openness to his healing. There is hope for future breakthroughs and an openness to his healing. I love how Paul ends this. You say, why do you say that? Well, look at verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your what? Your spirit. There's pain there. And maybe you're here this morning and there's pain. There's hurt. And it's real. And it's not going to go away. And some of it, listen to me, some of it may not go away till Christ returns. And some may not ever be reconciled. That's just reality. But your spirit doesn't have to be a root of bitterness. You can have hope and be open to his healing grace. I love this quote by N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar. It's a hard thing Paul has asked of him. A superhuman task of heartfelt reconciliation and forgiveness. If he is to do it without pride or anger, he cannot do it without grace. But grace is what is available. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor. That we by his poverty might become rich the same christ who took upon himself the nature and the death of the slave there's always hope but have an openness to him healing by grace alone we're able and just taking this verse look at look at at those lists receive the best from the lord his grace is so sufficient Expect the best from others. Be confident in the Christ. Think the best of others. Express that to others, even when they don't deserve it. Share the best with others. Have an open heart that leads to an open home. Serve the best. Pray the best. Do it all. And then some. Now, some of your Bibles end with amen. How many of you have that in your Bible? So some of you have that. How many of you don't have that? All right. And so what happens, happened in the church is these letters would be read. In fact, in Colossians, he talks about reading. When you read your letter, the Colossians trade out the letter I wrote to the Laodiceans and read their letter. And when it would be read in worship, the church would rise up and say, amen. Amen. And some and, and that started being added. So sometimes it's supposed to be there, sometimes not. But it's the, it's the right response. Well, what does amen mean? It means it is true. And it means let it be. Is there hope for future breakthroughs and then some? Amen. It's true. It's true. It is true that real fellowship in Christ breaks through barriers to refreshing relationships. Let it be. Break through those barriers. Remove the relational roadblocks with an effective faith, a reconciling love and a confident hope. Faith, hope, love. Let it be. That's my prayer. And I don't know what relational breakdowns are ahead of me or you, but there are probably, there's going to be future ones. So I, you have this. Pray on this. Make your faith effective. In the Lord Jesus Christ because in Christ you have what it takes. Amen? Good stuff. Let's be fellow workers and fellow sufferers. Let's pray. Father, we come and we we end this book with, uh, Lord, I hope refreshing hearts that your grace has refreshed our spirits. I pray for those who have unreconciled relationships that Lord, they would find hope in this that you have revealed Yourself to them. I pray for those who are struggling to grant forgiveness, that, Lord, they would be encouraged by looking to You. I pray for some who may not be aware they have offended others, that You would bring to their consciousness, that You, Lord, would bring to their consciousness, Oh, I think something's not right here. I need to go and ask, or I know I did something harmful or hurtful. I will humble myself. Lord, I pray for these things because they are the work of the gospel. They are the work of your grace. May it be that we find refreshment on the other side of these barriers. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.